0: Lord of the Rings, how many of you like the Lord of the Rings, okay? All right, very good. Why the Lord of the Rings? Great story, right? And young man in the third row, why did you choose the movie you chose? The action and just good plot line. Yeah, good plot line, okay. I want to talk to you tonight about how, uh, how stories shape our lives. And I've got a little board here. I'm a teacher kind of guy. And I don't know if you can see this or not, but I'm going to try and do so. Oh, it's on the screen. That'll help. Oh, that's a really, I kind of missed the spot. <laughs> my daughter, my daughter, I took my daughter and her boyfriend to dinner. They were coming, but he had a terrible headache and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, um, I asked her if I did a good job cutting my hair. She said, Daddy, you missed the spot. She calls my hairdo a cul-de-sac. That's my freshman in college daughter. Disrespect. Okay. All right. This is a line. Okay. This is is really a fierce magic marker. Okay. So imagine that's a line. Okay. This is uh, in stories, in literature. This is called the GI axis. It's called other things, different names. Okay. And over here, and then we've got the other side. Okay. This is the beginning of a story because they all have a beginning, right? And they all have an... And, okay, very good. Okay, G stands for good, for, for fun, for happy, for peace, prosperity, joy. Everything above this line is what you want in life. And I stands for ill fortune and good fortune, ill fortune, bad things happen and so on. And I want to talk to you about stories and about plot lines because stories from, you go all the way back to the, one of the earliest stories known to man, the Gilgamesh epic, all the way to the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. All stories tell a story. Okay, y'all remember that? <laughs> okay. I got a son who just finished college. The daughter, yeah, I, I used to buy those super mega Zord. How many of you watch the Power Rangers? Okay, which one's the best? Pink. I always say Kimberly. See, I told you I knew. <laughs> okay, uh, it's, it's pretty good that I remember that. I'm an old guy. Okay, so I'm going to tell you just two or three plot lines, okay? Just kind of follow me. This first one is kind of rags to riches. Very common. People make millions of dollars off of it. You should write a movie. Okay. And so it kind of starts off, you know, everything's okay, but man, just boom, everything is bad. And it's, it's, it's even worse because it's a young lady and her mom passed away and she's got a stepmom now and really nasty stepsisters. And you probably never heard of this story. But... Uh, <laughs> But I mean, and then everything's bad and there's this ball and everybody's going to get to go and she has to prepare for everybody else and and she doesn't get to go and it's really sad and everybody's, and she's just had a terrible life. And then the fairy godmother comes along and she gets a dress and she gets makeup and a hairdo and she gets a chariot that came from a pumpkin and she gets to meet the prince. And I mean, everything is fantastic. I mean, all of a sudden, all this ill will and everything, it's all of a sudden really great and she's having a great time. But then something happens. The clock strikes midnight and it's down, 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 down. It's really sad, really tragic. But then the prince finds her and boom, It's she ends up being very happy. Okay, that's one. Okay, let me give you a couple of other examples. This one is called uh, Boy Meets Girl. Okay, another common line, a lot of romantic comedies follow this, love happens, and just a lot of different ones. Adam Sandler, maybe so on. Okay, uh, let me tell you a secret, okay i got to watch my time. Uh, A little secret about Adam Sandler, Will Ferrell movies. These these movies about guys that are grown men that actually are 12-year-olds and never grew up. You know, the average age of a video game buyer is 34. (laughs) That's pathetic. Uh, But uh, anyway, those guys at the last five minutes, they always figure it out, make the right decision, and get the girl. In the real world, those guys are losers, man. Uh, It's not going to happen that way. Uh, It's entertainment. Okay. So anyway, uh, I'm just saying, I I know those guys in real life, and they're not like that. Okay. So... (laughs) So here it is. God's moving along. Life's about neutral. He meets a girl. Everything's great. They have this relationship and then... (laughs) But somehow they recover and... It ends up happy, okay. That's there's a lot of movies like that, okay. Then the last one, and there are different plot lines. There aren't many plot lines, but here's another one. This is uh, often called the man falls in a hole and somebody rescues him, okay. And so a guy's up here, man. He's having a good life, rocking along. Things are going pretty well. Falls in a hole, needs help, and somebody has to help him out, and they help him out. And that's a really simple one, and a lot of stories follow that plot line. If you'll just figure out how to tell that with the right details, you can be famous, and you can be a novelist, and you can write Lord of the Rings and be be like Tolkien or so on. Now, here's, here's the point I want to make. All these movies are kind of similar. I mean, you've got uh, Dorothy is in Kansas with Toto. Everybody's happy. And uh, Frodo is in the Shire and just, you know, in, in, uh, eating apples or whatever. And everything's peaceful in Gotham City. And, you know, in the Power Rangers, they're just sitting around drinking the milkshake and the little thing. And, uh, and then something happens. Something always happens, doesn't it? Always happens. And you even live that way. I know this is too good. Something's going to go wrong. You almost expect that, right? This is too good to be true. Uh, And so we'll talk about why that is in a minute. And then, then something comes up, you know, the Joker walks in and spoils the party. Okay. Uh, How many of you saw The Dark Knight? Fantastic movie. I took my daughter on her first mission trip. We were in Bangkok, Thailand and watched it in that, in a, in a theater that was just like nothing I've ever seen in the States. And, uh, but when the Joker came in with the switchblade and kind of spoils the party or the Wicked Witch shows up or, um, you know, you have those really weird things in the leotards that can't act very good in the Power Rangers. And uh, anyway, all that. Something bad happens is what I'm saying. Okay. And then what happens? It's morphing time, right? And they all come together, and they unite. And it's a whole thing about community and all these underlying messages. But the whole point is, they are the rescuers, okay? Uh, Or Dorothy pours water on the witch. Or Batman returns. Or Frodo finally gets that blasted ring where it's supposed to go after nine hours, for crying out loud. (laughs) Would you just please take that ring? (laughs) That's what I'm thinking. Uh, Okay. Uh, But you know, there's something different. There's something different about taking a poster with Frodo and a few characters and just a little caption that says, This is the story of the Lord of the Rings and getting the epic of the story. Here's the point. We've taken the greatest message ever known, the greatest story known to man, the gospel, that God would create a world, and though it's broken by sin, Jesus would come and die and rise from the dead to rescue us and offer us a restoration for eternity. And we've turned that into a little snapshot and just give it as little as we can, as briefly as we can to people, instead of understanding the greatness of this story. I want you to turn to Luke 24. And I want you to see something Jesus says. And Jesus is making a point that often in the Western church we miss. It's not that we get the gospel wrong. It's just that we don't get the gospel in its context in the scripture right. The Bible is 66 books, but it's not 66 stories. It's one great story, one wonderful narrative or, or, or meta-narrative. And, and just like these stories have plot lines, and the reason the Lord of the Rings is such an epic and uh, the Narnia sor- series is such an epic is because they tell the story well but they follow similar plot lines and there's the same kind of a a message that happens over and over again and jesus is going to talk about that in luke 24 he's come from the father he's come and been born of a virgin he's lived a sinless life he's died on the cross he's risen from the dead and now he's speaking to his disciples in luke 24 verse 44 It says, and he said to them, these are my words that I said to you. I spoke to you while I was with you. Now notice what he says. That everything about me, everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In other words, he said everything in the Hebrew Scriptures, everything in the Old Testament, which was their Bible, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. So he says, when you go back and you look at the Scriptures from Moses and Genesis all the way through the prophets... Everything is fulfilled in me. And he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written. What is it written in that passage, in those Scriptures, in Moses, in the law, in the prophets, in the Psalms, the writings, and so on? This is what is written, that the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I want you to think about stories tonight. And I want you to think. I want to show you on the slide. uh, For example, you all know uh, Little Red Riding Hood, uh, the... the uh the blind side that's another movie that's a pretty cool movie novels uh, how many of you read kill a mockingbird in high school or read it in college and these novels and these stories they have a plot line and they they have a being in the end and you know what's amazing about all these stories whether it's a wizard of oz or those stories they start out pretty nice or even happy and something goes dark and then there's a rescue and it always ends how, and they all lived yeah why is that why why, why why? do most movies, now there are exceptions, especially if it's based on a historical fact and it's a tragedy, but overwhelmingly those stories end with joy. And it's not just Western civilization. It's true in stories around the world. Why do we want a happy ending? Why do we want things to go well? Why do we care about happy endings? Why is it that there's not a teenage girl or a college girl in this room tonight that would say, when I'm 50, I want to look back and say, well, I've been married and divorced five times. I have three kids by three different husbands and none of them will pay child support. Nobody wants that. there's not a guy in here who wants to be 50 and say wow i'm in death row you're not aiming for that that's not whatever you're aiming for that's not it okay we want a happy ending to our lives and i want you to see jesus is in a in a statement here summarizing the message of scripture you see something similar in first corinthians 15 when paul says i delivered you a first importance the gospel. Gospel means good news. The good news that comes in Christ that we heard testimony of a little bit earlier by Tyler. Tyler? Was it Tyler? Uh, and so I'm an old guy. I'm seeing all. Not good with names. Um, but anyway. Uh, so so in First Corinthians 15, Paul said, "I I, I gave to you what is of first importance that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose from the dead the third day." Well, I just misquoted that. That's not exactly what he said. He said that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose from the dead according to the Scriptures. Because here's what's happened in a lot of churches. It's not intentional. But what we've done is we've taken the Word of God that is about one great redemptive message from Genesis to Maps. About the message of God, the mission of God. And we've, we've turned a lot of the Bible stories into moralistic kind of, like I call it Aesop's Fables approach to the Bible. You know, David beat Goliath, so you can beat your enemies. You having a hard time that professor's mean to you? Professors are never mean. Surely not. Uh, okay, this anyway. Uh some are. Okay. Um creep. But um yeah I've, I've had those I've been that guy but but you know instead of saying, okay I'm having a hard time and uh, David be glad so I can that's kind of not the full point of David's story or Joseph forgave his brothers when they abused him and victimized him and so therefore on that basis you forgive others so I should forgive others because I have a moral example no we should forgive others because God in Christ has forgiven us and Joseph is a simple Old Testament picture pointing to the one day uh, related to the exodus and forgiveness that one day will be beautifully seen in the cross of Christ and so I I want you to think for just a few moments and I talked about this a little bit when I was with you last year uh, but I want you to think about the greatness of the gospel I call this widescreen we typically think of the gospel snapshot Jesus died for our sins he was our substitute for sin he rose from the dead so that we could have life in his name and that is the gospel but it's so much bigger than that and I think sometimes what we do when we shrink the gospel is we then make it part of our spiritual lives and we become practicing poly theists okay it's like we have many gods jesus is god of my church life and he's god of my campus crusade life but you know my friends are the god of my relational life and my money is the god of my economic life and my circumstances are the god of my emotional life and so we, it's like we have this compartmental life, of life because we've been taught the gospels for salvation for you to get to heaven and then the rest of your life as a christian you kind of get better no i need the gospel today matter of fact. We don't have time to look there, but if you go to Acts chapter four, you read in chapter four, at the end of that passage, the first time the church is threatened, they're they're told not to speak in the name, they're being persecuted. They begin to pray, and the first thing they do in that prayer is they preach the gospel to themselves. They say, "Lord, you're God. You created everything. There's been this fall, and this wicked Gentiles are raging against you, and yet you predetermined to redeem us through Christ." And they so one of the things we do as believers is just rehearse the gospel and remind ourselves of the impact that gospel makes in our lives. So I want to take a moment and just unpack the, what, what Jesus is saying in the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, all through the scripture, the, what, what some call the grand narrative or the great meta-narrative scripture. It starts with creation. Doesn't Genesis start with creation, right? I think I did this last year, but let's do this again. Uh, let's say the first verse in the Bible. Say it with me. In the beginning, right? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created in the beginning god created the heavens and the, we're going to do the whole bible it's going to take 7 years. And, no, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Okay. The beginning of the bible starts with god and creation by the way the gospel of john which we give to people to tell them to read that to know how to be a christian it starts with god and creation by the way the book of romans which we use the roman road plan of salvation and start romans 3 we kind of jump over something important romans starts with romans 1 verse 20 says for even your invisible attributes demonstrate who you are so we're without excuse it starts with creation so here's something i start now I, i teach evangelism and I teach people, this is, this, is, this is the deal. I teach people how to tell the greatest news in the world and they pay me. <laughs> My job's better than yours. Uh, and I get to travel all over the world and write books and have friends and a few enemies. And it's really awesome. And uh, it's really cool. But anyway, um, so here's, here's the thing. For years, I've, you know, I've shared the gospel, seen people come to Christ. But about three years ago, I began to realize, you know, America is now the fourth largest unsaved nation on the earth. There are more People who don't know Christ in our country than any country in the world except for three and maybe even two. And so you know that on this campus. It's not like 90% of students at NC State are radical, fanatical followers of Jesus, right? Same thing in the public schools. Same thing in most subdivisions, most apartment complexes, government. Basically, any institution in America, overwhelmingly, is not believers, okay? We live in a non-Christian world, and so uh, to help people understand that, people you talk to on campus, they don't have a biblical mind, okay? They don't have that biblical background, and so we have to help understand the story. I'll give you an example. I got some puzzles up here. How many of you put together puzzles before? Anybody done that? Okay, I've got a thousand-piece puzzle with a cat. It has to be my wife's, okay? I don't like cats. My wife likes cats. Anybody here like cats? I ran over a cat last week. I drive a Yukon. If you drive a Yukon with a 19-inch wheel, the cat doesn't live. I, I killed it. I had to drive through three yards and over a fence, but I finally got him. I, I'm just kidding. I didn't, I'm just kidding about that. I just, no. Don't tell my wife. Um, I love her. I love her, so we have two cats. Uh, Satan and Beelzebub, (laughs) that's what I call them. (laughs) Um, What's the first thing you put together with a puzzle? The border. Why do you do that? Makes it easy. Gives you a direction. Gives you a plot. Gives you an idea, okay? Now, what if I gave you a puzzle and I didn't give you the border? I said, the border's not there. Could you still put it together? Yeah, Yeah, you could because you got the box, you got the picture. It'd be a little harder though, right? It'd be a little harder. What if I gave you the puzzle and uh, I told you there's no border and I wouldn't let you have the box? It'd be a lot harder, wouldn't it? You think you could do it? Yeah, yeah you could. Ta- believe me, I promise you, it'd take a lot longer. What if, what if I gave you a puzzle and I told you there's no border and I want you to put it together, but I didn't tell you this, but I gave you the wrong box. And what if I got a box that had very similar colors Similar painting, but and I never told you it was the wrong one. You'd probably get mad, wouldn't you? You'd probably not want to talk to me anymore. That's how we share the gospel a lot of times. We expect people to understand what we believe because we believed it all our lives, or we've we've heard it all our lives, and we're. It's like walking. It's like asking someone to walk halfway into Inception and figuring it out. Some of you watched the whole thing and you hadn't figured it out. (laughs) Or are you dreaming it? (laughs) Or I mean, I got this thing in my pocket to remind me. Of, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, or a beautiful, you want to walk in the beautiful mind and get that? Seriously? See, and we ask people. So here's what's happening. We live in a culture, guys, with a lot of gospels. There's the Joel Osteen prosperity gospel. That's not the gospel. And so we're asking people to put their life together and know Christ and follow Christ. And the box they're looking at is the wrong box. Or it's a box of, box of morality and they think, okay, being a Christian means I, I go to church every time the doors are open and I give money and I do better every day and I act better and I live better. And I try, I'm try i trying to put, there. it's not like everybody just hates God. A lot of people want to know God and they're trying to put together the story of their life and they can't do it because the box they're looking at is totally wrong and they don't have a border. And so uh, this started with me when I was in Thailand. I was talking to Buddhist monks. And I've been sharing the gospel this way ever since. I don't start with the scripture. Now, you need the scripture, okay? But I've had this conversation a thousand times over. Two weeks ago, I led a young lady to Christ who just finished college in Connecticut. Never been to an evangelical church in her life until last month. She visited our church. And I went to see her with some with of some the folks, and in about an hour, she gave her life to Christ. She'd grown up Catholic, uh, but not, not even a devout Catholic church, a lot of superstition, a lot of ritual, a lot of legalism, and she knew there was more. She wanted to know more, and when I began to talk to her just about the wonder of creation, it made sense. So when I'm talking to people now, I say something like this, isn't this an amazing world? It is an amazing world. Um, the, the grass, the, the plants produce oxygen, or we would die. We produce carbon dioxide. So the plants can live, and there's such a harmony and symmetry in nature. You know what? Everything in creation pretty much does what it's supposed to do and does it well. I love snakes. I have pet snakes, you know, and I have big, had an anaconda before and a monitor lizard. I even had a copperhead one time. I named him Fang. <laughs> it was awesome. I fed him a lizard. Man, pow, he got that lizard. and uh, Gotcha. <laughs> and uh, that lizard's like, Ouch. <laughs> And he just kind of twitches, and then he just kind of dies. You know, it's kind of—it's awesome, it's incredible. I miss that snake. I hacked him to pieces because I thought it's not safe to have a copperhead. Anyway, I, I I'm in trouble now. I, I mean, I mean, I let him go. I'm just kidding. But there's this incredible beauty. And I, I've got a free I, I was telling Todd earlier, and I've really been trying to spend less time with seminary students, much as I love them. And, man, I love mentoring, and I love investing in young leaders. And I just have such a great passion. I brought a young man with me, and I, I don't go anywhere by myself when I travel. I always am taking students with me because I just want to be around young adults and encouraging them to grow in their faith. And I just love that. But I, I just decided that Jesus was a friend of sinners, and I spend too much time with Christians. And some of us, the biggest hindrance to our walk with God is we spend too much time with people just like us. Which I don't know how you could do that on a campus like NC State, but some people figure out a way. And so as it works out, I've just set aside a lot of time every week now to spend time with guys, and as it works out, three of my best friends are all bartenders. And I don't drink alcohol. It's funny. I've been to a bar 20 times in my life. You know, I go there and drink coffee and eat soup at Chili's, and I talk to the bartender. But I went fishing Monday with a guy named Danny. You pray for Danny. I've shared the gospel with him. He hasn't trusted Christ yet. But, man, he's my friend. I went and ate there last night, and Jesus hugs my neck, and I just love him. And my wife, my family just loves him. My daughter actually works there now. And then there's a guy named Sal who almost came with me tonight. He went with me last week to hear me preach. Doesn't know Christ. He was a bartender. He's not now. But the other day, we went and had a movie at his house, and we... Uh, we're going to do some other stuff let me ask you a question when's the last time and, and for you it may be different than if I ask a typical church but when's the last time you decide to go see a movie do something and you intentionally if you're a follower of Christ I don't assume everybody is but if you're a follower of Christ you intentionally ask people to come with you who are not believers just because you want some friends that aren't just like us that that don't know Christ and not just to treat them as a project but because you love them just because you love them so I go fishing with Danny. I don't go fishing with my seminary students. I don't. I'm around them enough, man. I'm gonna go fishing with my man Dan, but he's a really good fisherman, and we actually catch fish. Uh, so uh, we caught. Anyway, I should show you a picture. But anyway, uh, so I, I really, I really enjoy that. So the, the the issue is though, is I've talked to these guys, and I'm talking. I'm out there fishing with Danny. I'm like, isn't this an amazing world? And it's an easy thing. Nobody has disagreed with me that this world is amazing. It's an incredible world. And then... There's something different about us, okay? I've got this shirt that says Imago Dei. We are created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. And, and there's something different about man, okay? Yeah, chimpanzees in nature are kind of like us, but they're not nearly as much like us as you think they are, okay? So a chimpanzee, I've got a friend, he's a professional animal expert. He has taught chimpanzees in movies to ride a skateboard. And he said that same chimpanzee, a month later, you give him that skateboard, he doesn't start riding it, he breaks it to pieces, okay? Because uh, he only a controlled environment. Okay, so a chimpanzee, can do crude things a chimpanzee is not going to create a macbook it's not going to develop a website on the internet okay not going to not going to create something like apache that we use on the internet he's not going to do that an owl will make a nest it will not make a five-story condo with a swimming pool not going to do it so you take an owl with incredible owl eyesight and you put it on one end of carter finley and you hold a bible on the other end can the owl owl has incredible eyesight can an owl read that no owls can't read <laughs> gotcha <laughs> But if he could read, he could read that. But he's never going to be able to read that. He's an owl. Okay, I'm blind, got bifocals, old dude, 52 years old. And so if, if I'm standing here on the other end of Carter Findlay, if you hold up a Bible, can I read it? and the reason I can is because I have a complex brain and I have enough sense to go find a telescope and I can get the telescope or binoculars and Al's not going to figure that out see there's something different about us intellectually there's something different about us rationally next time someone on campus goes well if you're a Christian what about the problem of evil ask him this well why do you even care your dog didn't care that tree doesn't care. Why do we even care? Why do we even ask ultimate questions? Why does it even matter to us? You think it matters to my pet snake that evil happened? He just wants to eat, man. He'd like to eat you if he got a chance. No. God created us in his image. We're rational. We're spiritual. We think about ultimate things. We want a happy ending. I promise you, we got a new golden retriever named Summer, and I think she's also demon possessed. She's eaten everything in our backyard. But I'm quite confident that she doesn't think about what's going to happen when she dies. I don't think she ever thought about that. She's just like, rug my neck. <laughs> Nirvana. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's her. There's something different about us. And, you know, I'm in Greece talking to, I'm at the University of Aristotle. Aristotle University, rather, in Greece, talking to students. And they completely agree with that. Yeah, it's an amazing world. There's something different about us. And then I ask the question, but something's gone wrong, hasn't it? The fall. You may not agree with the biblical description of that but what the reason these storylines we love these storylines is because this is the storyline of Scripture. There is something in the Imago day in us that says, yes, it's an amazing world. There's something gone wrong, but I want a rescue. I want a happily ever after. I want that. And the reason Hollywood, who is pagan in its orientation, not biblical, I apologize to pagans, uh, but I mean, it's, it's, it's not Christian, not a Christian worldview. I mean, their agenda is not to exalt the Scripture and yet movie after movie after movie after bestseller after bestseller follows the plotline and And has the idea that they all lived happily ever after. We all want that. Because that's the story that God is writing in reality. You see, I don't start talking to people about the gospel with, you need to believe the Bible because it's true. I start with reality. What's obvious in reality? What's obvious? Man, God's made an incredible world. It's an amazing world. And something has gone badly wrong. And we have... Tornadoes. And we've got a group going to Haiti next week because thousands and thousands have been killed uh, there. And, and I was with my daughter and our, our team from our school in uh, South Africa six, seven weeks ago. And we were in the squatter camps and the settlements there. And we were in places where grown men rape little children because they have some weird idea that because they have HIV, if they rape a little child, they'll, be, they'll, they'll lose their HIV disease. And it's gross, and it's broken, and you see the brokenness that's all over the place there. And you live, my, my kids will tell you, they, they know never to say I'm starving, because I've been places in the world where people are starving. You're never going to be starving. But there are people that are starving. 26,000, 26,000 children and young people will die today. Because they didn't have food, didn't have clean water, didn't have basic medical needs. 26,000. 1.7 billion have yet to even hear. How can we be uh, be confident about sharing the gospel twice here when there are people in the world that have never heard it once? This world is broken. My dad has cancer. My mom and dad came to hear me. I preached at a university in uh, Georgia on on Tuesday. And my mom and dad came over. They're 80 and 79 And a month from from that day, a month from Tuesday, they will be married 60 years. My wife and I will be married 30 years, three days before that. And uh, those college students didn't know what to do with that. Somebody's been married 60 years. That's pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. But our world is broken. My wife, her dad left home when she was 8 years old. Some of you have had that experience. Your family's been broken apart. My wife lost her brother leukemia when she was 14 and He was 12. I have an artificial hip, and uh, my body's breaking down. My body's falling apart, and every day we are dying. It's obvious this is an amazing world, but there is something badly that's gone wrong. And the Bible calls that the fall and sin, and we've broken God's law, and we're guilty before a holy God. And don't ever say, God, give me what I deserve. You don't want what you deserve. You want grace. And that's the story of the rescue. When Jesus said everything in the law of Moses, Moses talked about creation. Moses talked about the fall, but Moses began to talk about grace and Abraham and Isaac and a promise and a promised seed and a promised son that ultimately through the Old Testament, I wish I had time to trace all that, gets to the place where God in the fullness of time sends his own son who lives a sinless life, dies a brutal death, rises again for us so that we can have life in his name. And it's such an amazingly beautiful thing, the New Testament. Testament uses so many words we were slaves to sin and he's redeemed us we were owing a debt we couldn't pay he has reconciled our debt with with God we were uh, orphans and he has adopted us we were dead in our sins Jesus didn't die to make bad people good he died to make dead people live we've been made alive in Christ and we were guilty legally before God and he has legally justified us and Jesus is our advocate our our defense attorney before the Holy Spirit born of God. And so we have this amazing rescue that comes through Christ and leads to a beautiful promise of restoration. When I trusted Christ when I was 11 years old, I've never been the same, never gotten over it, never recovered. Not perfect, still not perfect, knucklehead. I have a, I have the genome of knuckleheadedness, okay? I am a guy, okay? Guys are just naturally jerks, okay, guys? You, You don't have to admit it, the girls will say amen. We just are, okay? And girls have a tendency to be drama queens, so get off me. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> but if you're a guy and you're a drama queen, that's doubly bad. You know, girls join hands and go to the bathroom together. Guys, if you join hands and go to the bathroom together, I'm going to come after you with a stick. Uh, that's just not right. So, you know, there's the difference. But, but God... At the moment of conversion, he began a work of restoration. And so as a follower of Christ, what do you do? You try to get better. No, every day you understand the gospel more in its depth, in its greatness. And you confront the idols in your life with the gospel. And so you confront them. And so you don't think about marriage from a worldly perspective. Well, it's a good option if you want to do that. Or it's an institution, you better preserve it. No, it's a covenant. It's a demonstration of the gospel. It's a beautiful picture. So the Bible says, guys, in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. Why? How do we have a, You want to have a great hus- husband, ladies? You find a husband that loves you like Christ loved the church and gave himself for You find a guy whose life is hidden in the gospel, and you'll discover a guy who forgives more and who serves more and who sacrifices more because that's what Christ did for us. You see, the gospel is what shapes, that's what shaped my parents' marriage for 60 years. My dad, simple guy, not deep theologically, high school graduate, but he understood. The gospel's effect in his relationship to his wife and his model of that for my brother and I our entire lives. And we've tried to model that for our children because there's so much brokenness because of the fall. So we have this beautiful picture of restoration, and ultimately Christ will return. And the Bible says there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And please get out of these images of, you know, these middle-aged paintings of little fat babies and diapers with wings and playing a harp on a cloud. I don't want to do that for a thousand years or a million. <laughs> I don't want no, no, no. Heaven is a city. It's a beautiful place. It's a civilization where God himself is the light. And we're in the very presence of God. And eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has entered in the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We can't. I mean, streets of gold is the best we can do because we're stuck with language. So much greater than that. This world is not your home, guys. Don't try to spend your life making everything work out just right. This world is broken. I've told my kids their whole lives, life is not fair, but God's good. This world is broken. There are always going to be people that are going to treat you bad. You're always going to let yourself down. God is the consistent one. And he has a promise of restoration in the hope in the life to come that he's given us through Christ. And so that's why I talk to people like Allie, who trusted Christ a couple of weeks ago. That's why we saw people in brokenness in Africa give their life to Christ. That's why even this weekend of retreat, as I just had students sharing with each other the wonder of God's creation and the fall and the rescue and restoration, the students are leading each other to Christ, practicing, just talking about the gospel, because there is a hunger among so many to know uh, what what is the picture that we give people. See, when we begin to give them the border That scripture talks about that God's created the world. It's broken. Jesus came. See, Jesus didn't come to get you to church or to get you to crusade on Thursday nights. He didn't come to get you to be more moral. Those are byproducts, those are results. Yes, I'm in church a ton. I've been in four states in the last four days. I love being with the people of God, but that's a byproduct of my salvation, it's not a cause. And so the focus of Jesus is not to get you to church, boy, to get you to act better, girl. He came to fix what is broken. Ultimately, everything in creation, the Bible says in Romans 8, creation is groaning for the day of redemption. But in your life, the brokenness in your life because of sin, some things even beyond your control because of your family and other things, your health you can't control, those things, God came through Christ to fix what was broken. So don't just tell people just to follow Jesus so you can be better. Follow Jesus because God is writing an amazing story, and we're trying to take pencil lids and write our own stories, and we're not writing very good stories stories and they're not turning out too well and if we would just let God through Christ write our story that he intended for us we would suddenly see the reason he created us i asked the students i, I, I teach uh, in our church i'm I'm head over what we call our young professionals which is early 20s to early 30s young pros we call them and i asked them about 3 weeks ago i said i want to ask you a question if money were no object and geography were no object you could do anything and be anything for the glory of god Where would you go and what would you do? I want you to think about that. And the next day, one of the young men I'm mentoring, we went to coffee and he said, "Uh, Dr. E, what what, what would you say if I asked you if money were no object, you could do anything you want to do, what would you do? And I said, you know, Stephen, here's the thing. I'm 52 years old and I'm doing it. My, my testimony is simply this: I was a country little hick from Alabama named Alvin, skinny little redneck, big ears, insecure, and I just have tried to let my life and i 've often but this okay i 've often gone the other way, but I try to let my life ride into the into the, uh, the internet interstate rap, not of this internet superhighway but god 's story for my life, and I mean, I get to teach the most incredible students in the world I get to Speak to students like this. I get to travel all over the world. get to write books. Why? Because I'm, the, I'm not the smartest. I'm not the best speaker you're going to have this year. I'm not the best writer you'll ever read. I'm not the best at anything. But because God, when you, listen to me, i promise you this. You let God write your story. And when you're 52, that's a long time from now. But when you're 52, you'll look back and go, wow, what an amazing God. My wife grew up in a broken home, lost her brother. All she wanted to do was be a mom. That's all she wanted to do is be a mom. We couldn't have kids for years. We prayed. We even got a newborn T-shirt, put it in our bedroom and said, God, would you give us a baby? And we took our son home in that. He was almost dead at birth and should have died and was going to, when I have all kinds of problems. Now he's a drummer, and we didn't think he'd ever have motor skills. And God, God in his grace has given us two kids and gave my wife the desire of her heart because all she tried to do was live for him. And, and, and I've got other friends that have found the joy of adoption and found God working to answer their prayers that way. But my point is, guys, so much of your life you've been asked this. Even in church, what do you want to do when you grow up? If you follow Christ, it ain't about what you want to do. It's about what has God created you to be a part of in his story. How has he gifted you? What passion? And so I want you to look then again real quickly at verse 47. The message of God is this great and glorious amazing gospel. Then there's the mission of God. That repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. How many of you have been called to the nations as a Christian? Raise your hand. Okay, everybody raise your hand that's the right answer every great commission passage talks about the nations I had a guy asked me at a conference the other day i was speaking at why do we have all this talk about the nations america needs the gospel to us see america needs the gospel too the reason we talk about reaching the nations is because jesus did every gospel at the end go to the nations go to the nations the uttermost parts of the earth i was in i was at the cape of good hope two months ago six weeks ago I mean, the very end of the earth in Africa. I thought, man, that's Acts 1-8. I want to be at the end of the earth. I want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth or do everything I can to help get the gospel to the ends of the earth as long as I have breath. And that's what the mission of God is for our life. Let me just get real practical and and, and kind of land this plane. Because, you know, this is big picture, you know, beautiful, wonderful gospel. And I'm sure that some of you tonight here have never... Trusted Christ, you've heard a testimony tonight. Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you know about it. Maybe you have more questions, we want to talk to some of us after. I, I want you to do that. God is a big God. He can take your questions. If you're honest, the more honest you are with God, the more real He'll be to you. But you've got to be honest. But you can ask God honest questions. But let me make this really personal. Let me talk to you about how you as an individual can live this out in the lives of others. Some of you are going to know this story I'm going to tell because it's a pretty well, a matter of fact, it's a movement that started with one person and has actually spread around the world now. It's such a big deal that our daughter, when she was 15, asked us if she could have a tattoo. And we said, uh, let's talk about when you're 18. Forgot all about it. She turned 18 this spring <laughs> that evening at supper. Remember what you said? <laughs> oh, snap. Oh uh, Yeah, we did. Okay. So, okay, we said, you're an adult. You could, if, you know, I mean, are you going to do like a, you know, a, uh, you know, let's, let's not get in a hurry when you're 18. Uh, she said, it's okay, Dad. I can't afford that. That's, that's right. You're paying for it. But she, she got a little, and I'll explain more about that uh, in a minute. There's a guy named Jamie. He lived in Florida. He's a believer. And he was out in California, and he was watching the taping of a music video, MTV music video. And the guy directing it was Joaquin Phoenix. I know Joaquin Phoenix from Walk the Line or uh, Gladiator, the, the, the emperor and Gladiator. And he's really an intense guy, and he's directing this film, and he's got a sharpie. And every time he has an idea or he says, cut, he, he kind of writes something on his arm. And Jamie's like, man, that's weird. This guy's writing everything on his arm, and his arm looks like an NBA player, you know, just all these tattoos. Like, and, and, and he washed them off at the end of the day. And Jamie thought, that's pretty cool. And he went back to Florida, and he was having a really tough day, and he thought, man, this, this is an awful day. You ever have days? And, and he remember what Phoenix did. He got a sharpie, and he just wrote the word love just to remind him as he's going through the day. You know, man, God loves me. It's okay. It's a tough day, but God God loves me. Right after that, he met a young lady named Renee. And so this is Renee's story. He said, when I meet her, cocaine is fresh in her system. She hasn't slept in 36 hours and won't for another 24. Her life is a blur of Coke, pot, pills, and alcohol. But she agreed to meet us and let us pray for her. We asked her to come with us to leave this broken night. And she says, no, I'm going to rehab. I'm not ready for you spiritual people. It's too great a change. And so he said, we pray and we say goodnight. It's hard, hard to leave her. Renee has known great pain, haunted dreams as a child, the near constant presence of evil ever since. She has felt the touch of awful naked men, battled depression and addiction, and attempted suicide. Her arms remember razor blades, 50 scars that speak of self-inflicted wounds. The night before she goes to the rehab, she takes a razor blade and cuts, carves the F word up her arm. And they find her the next morning, she goes to rehab, and they see her bloody arm, and they won't take her. They said, you're too great a risk. And so they put her out on the street. And so Jamie and his friends find her, and, and, and until they get her in uh, rehab the next Monday, this is what he says. We become her hospital, and the possibility of healing fills our living room with life. It is unspoken, and there are only a few of us, but we will be her church, the body of Christ coming alive to meet her needs to write love on her arms. How many of you are familiar with that? To write love on her arms. Love is the movement. This is where that started. It started with one person. Uh, and now has rescued lots of people from depression, suicide, cutting, uh, and so on. Well, he, he goes on to talk about Sunday night, his church. And after the service, we gather in our house to pray for Renee. And we're encouraging her. And she, she takes me to the garage to her stuff. And she gives me something. And she gives me her razor blade. She said, this is the one I used to line cocaine and to cut my arm five nights ago. And she said, tonight's going to be the hardest night of my life, and I really don't need this razor blade. I hold it carefully, thank her, and instantly know that this moment, this gift will stay with me. It hits me to wonder that if, if this great feeling is what Christ knows when we surrender our broken hearts and we trade death for life. And then he says this, and I'll be done. This is kind of a formula, if you will. You, you want to live out this gospel on this campus at NC State, throughout your life, here's a good place to start. Take a broken girl and treat her like a famous princess. Give her the best seats in the house. Tell her something true when all she's known her lies. Tell her God loves her. Tell her about forgiveness, the possibility of freedom. Tell her she was made to dance in white dresses. These things are true. My daughter, if you knew her, is such a radiant lover of the gospel. And she has a friend right now that's a lot like her and just is investing in her. I want to encourage you. If you know Christ, enjoy your fellowship. Enjoy hanging out with your Christian friends. But find a Renee. Guys, find a Ronnie. Find someone that's broken. And you and your friends begin to invest in them for the sake of the gospel. Let them see the greatness and the glory of the gospel and see what it will do in their life because I promise you it will change yours. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that the gospel's real. It has changed me. It's changed so many in this room. It will change anyone in this room. But Father, forgive us for taking this incredible, glorious story and not investing in the broken around us. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to uh, bring glory to your name. I pray, I don't know where these students are coming from. Lord, there's some students in this room, no, no doubt that to not feel like Renee. They feel trapped. They feel alienated. I pray that they'll find someone who loves you who will love them the way Jamie and his friends loved Renee. Would you, Lord, help us to invest in the broken and get off our, own lives and our own agendas and get on yours and let you tell your story through us. In Jesus' name, amen.